0: And welcome to episode 103 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, and joining me, a former TC editor, a uh, someone I've been wanting to have on the podcast for a long time, Ben DeRonia. What's up, Ben?
1: Not too much, guys. You know, hanging in there, um, <laughs> ready for the season to get going, finally. It uh, feels like just because of the weird offseason, it's been even longer since baseball's been around. There haven't been those, like, exciting articles that come every couple weeks when a new signing happens, so feels like it was a long wait, but spring training is finally here.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're uh, we're three games in, and uh, we were talking before we started recording, uh, neither you nor I have seen much, if anything, of these three games, but uh, that's probably good, honestly, because stats don't matter after three games of spring training. I know there was some panic in the streets about the Braves... Uh, being 0-3, and, 3, and uh, especially Ronald Acuna, um, being 0, uh, I believe he's 0-for-7 with, with three strikeouts in two games. Uh, I, I don't think either you or I care about that, but it's probably a good starting off point to just leave with Acuna because it's always good to lead with Acuna. Um, you know, one of the headliners earlier on this week was Chipper Jones. I believe the quote was that he said he's as good a prospect as, he, as, he's, as he's ever seen, and that's pretty high praise from a guy who is about to go in the Hall of Fame. Um, so, I guess we'll just start with Acuna and just kind of see where your temperature is at with him as a prospect and as a uh, 2018 commodity because that's two very different things.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's a, uh, I, I totally understand where Tripper's coming from with it. Like, in terms of overall talent, what he can do on the field, he's essentially like a Mike Trout in terms of, you know, his ability to hit for power, to run. He's got not as big, but he's solid size wise to play defense. Um, can hit the ball all over the field. So, like, from a talent perspective, you kind of get where where Chipper's coming from that same point. Um, My one caveat to that would be at the point to which uh, if Chipper were in the same position, you know, 15 years ago when Jeff Francois was coming up, I could see him feeling that same (laughs) way. You know what I mean? Like, the talent's all there, and what we'll have to see is does that translate to the baseball skills that need to be there too. Um, and I 100% expect that to happen with Acuna. Um, the, the, the little bit of fury people have with him are understandable, the walk rate's not crazy high, the strikeout rate's a little bit higher than you would want it to be. But there's so, he's so young and there's so much time for him to be able to develop and round out those skills to where he won't just like rely on only his talent. Um, I think that stuff will come with time. So I, I have a really high prospects for him in the long term. 2018 i think we'll see the flashes that that get us really excited i don't think we can expect him to come out and be like an mvp candidate first year but i think we'll see you know all the skills and and the talent that we uh that we are are hearing all about every single you know day to week
0: yeah i mean it's seems pretty safe to assume he's not going to be fully formed at the age of you know he's he's gonna be 20 this entire season He, he just turned 20 in december so I can't imagine, you know, very, very, very few players are as good as they're going to be at 20, and he's probably not going to be one of them. But, uh, I mean, it's obviously, it's pretty easy to get excited about Ronald Acuna. I feel like we talk about him all the time because that's what happens for a team that's still uh, sort of in their upswing of their rebuild. And he's, of course, like the biggest prize that's going to be arriving Um I mean, where, where do you stand on sort of the projection systems? I know, you know, I don't, I'm not sure which, which one is your favorite, if you have one between, you know, Zips and Steamer and all and, and all those things. They're kind of split on him a little bit. Zips, I, I know Zips is super high on Acuna as a, as a rookie prospect. Uh, like, I, I think they project him for like almost three wins, which is pretty crazy. Do you think that's, I, I mean, I understand this is very difficult to do because we've never seen him play at a major league level, but do, does that strike you as like super duper high, or is it something that could be attainable?
1: I think it's pretty attainable. Um, and from a hitting standpoint, the projection systems are – are they don't have a ton of bearings. They're expecting probably somewhere around a league average or a little bit better hitter. Where it's tough, and obviously the projection systems can't figure this part out of it without having any kind of major league data, is what to expect out of his defense. Yep. Like is he going to be a top-tier defender? Is he going to be you know really talented but make some mistakes? Is he going to be a guy who just can't read a ball well but has like crazy speed? Like we don't really know yet. So that's that's probably where the the big variance in the end uh, wins above replacement value numbers are coming from. But I think all those numbers are attainable. It's going to depend on a lot of different things, like how much playing time he's allotted, how healthy he'll be, um, how how adept he is at getting used to major league hitting, um, and obviously you know how the, how the defense plays. Um, but my expectation is if he ends up getting the amount of plate appearances we're, we're hearing, like you know, from these projection systems, they're putting him in like the 400s, 500s, 600s. Um, who he is in the tail end of the year, I imagine, will be much different than who he is in the beginning of the year. Um, and I think that's what I'll be really interested to see: is if he starts off really hot, does he stay really hot? If he starts off really cold, is he able to come back and adjust? Um, I think that'll be the real tell to what we think of Ronald Acuna this time next year is how he adjusts throughout the year rather than just looking at the end numbers because I really doubt he's going to be one of those guys that's putting up the same type of production every single month. I think it'll be a lot of variance and I'm not sure which way it's going to go yet.
0: Yeah, that that definitely sounds reasonable as well, and I mean, just as an inkling of what you were saying about the defensive projections, uh, looking at, at at Zips and Steam, are just that's just two of them, but their their hitting projections are pretty similar, whereas Zips is a lot higher on his defense, and that's basically accounts for almost all of the overall difference in the projections. So that basically is just. Uh, the outline's kind of what you're getting into there as well. So there's some base running noise in there too because uh, if you haven't noticed yet, I, I'm sure you have. Um, the uh, his base running numbers were not great in the minors. Like he, right. he has like a lot of stolen bases, but a lot of caught stealings. So I'm not sure how much they're going to let him run if they do. Um, so a lot of variance in those two spots. And defensively, I think he has all the tools in the world that you want. But coming up and yep. playing every day is it's a lot different.
1: Yeah, I think the base the base running thing is going to be. Uh, some, that that's actually one area where I think amongst most people I've been, especially most Braves fan, where I've been kind of uh, the down guy on him in that perspective. Uh, I just don't think, you know, historically, um, especially now that the Braves have, a quote unquote, more analytical approach to things, that they're going to let a guy run a ton if he's getting caught as often as Acuna was in the minors, where the catchers aren't as great, where the pitchers aren't as great as holding people on, where the fields are kind of, you know, scruffed up compared to what they are in the majors. Um, I don't think they're going to let him run a ton if he's getting caught pretty frequently. Um, so, you know, I've seen some projections have him in the thirties, the twenties, like it's not going to happen if he's, if he's getting caught a lot, like it doesn't make sense to me either. It's not something you want to have happen. Uh, if he's getting caught all the time, you just don't want him running. It's, it's a skill talent he has. He can still score from first and score from second frequently, but if he's not a great base dealer, we don't want him to be stealing bases.
0: Yeah, being being fast does not mean you're good at base stealing. That's not it's not always exactly. Uh, there there are guys uh, there are guys who you know for instance Jason Hayward was never this super duper base stealer, but he's like always regarded as this like high end base runner because exactly it's different. But base stealing is different, and you his speed is there. There's no question. But and it, you know some of could just be that he's 20 years old and he could get, he could certainly get better at yep. it. But at the major league level, you're not going to just run the guy into outs all
1: the time. Exactly. Exactly, because that could hurt him everywhere else too. Like, it could be something that's affecting him if we're having him, you know, get into those kind of positions and all that kind of stuff. I, I think they'll be pretty cautious with him from a stolen base perspective. Uh, but again, you know, this is a new management team. Maybe they just put him out there and they say, hey, do what you want. Um, they we'll might. See what happens. <laughs> I mean, right. I'm not
0: sure Snit's going to do that, even if,
1: unless somebody just gets in his ear and says, you have exactly. to
0: let him run. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean that's that's sort of the variance there as well because not knowing what the uh, what the interesting approach changes are going to be because it's still the same manager even if you have somebody different in his ear telling him what to do necessarily and whether he even buys into it. He's been saying the right stuff in terms of Brian Snicker, but until he sees, until I actually see him do things that I more agree with than what he's done in the past, I will not be uh, wholly sold on Brian Snicker. We should say.
1: <laughs> I'm right there with you. <laughs>
0: um. Well, last thing on on Acuna before we get off of that. Um. What do you think is going to come up? I think that's, that's obviously the big question, and I'm not sure how much of it, if any, has to do with what he does in the spring, or how much of it has to do with you know service time concerns. But if you had to guess, what do you think is going to come up?
1: Yeah, I think this is one of those rare situations um, where it actually does make sense to keep him down for a little bit. Um, I, I'm always, um, uh, not always, but I would say a majority of the time, I'm against the grain from the uh, analytic crowd on keeping guys down for a while. I think. In general, if they're going to be the type of guy that you're considering keeping down, which means he's a really good player, like those are the only guys you're going to con- consider, like, not bringing up right away if they're ready, if they're like top notch, top quality guys. My thought is always, you're probably going to want to extend them if they end up being that type of player. So you'll do that earlier on eventually anyway. And why mess around with a guy's service time who you will want to be? essentially partners in business with for a long period of time. Like you don't want to start that relationship off in a negative. Uh, So most of the time I actually don't agree with doing that. Uh, But this time I think it actually, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of sense behind it. He's, you know, only, like you just said, just turned 20. He's only got what, like 50 games above a triple, a double A, um, 54 games above double A, 110 above a plus. So that's not a lot of, experience in the upper minors and like we just mentioned there's some things he needs to work on in his game like getting a better strike zone management so he can walk a little bit more strike out a little bit less get better at base stealing uh for us to have a good projection of what his defense will look like in right field he's been playing center most of the time that's not going to happen in the majors so i think there does have there does make some sense to uh, keep him down a little bit longer with that said i would be surprised if it was longer than a month that he was down uh, whatever the limit is on the on the uh, super two and the um, keeping the year of eligibility in them you know, like I would be surprised if it went much longer than that, I think kind of like a Chris Bryant situation where like <laughs> maybe not the day after, but yeah <laughs> relatively quick, pretty close to it. I was gonna um, say
0: uh, the Bryant thing was hilarious because it was I, I think it was the actual day. Um, yeah, I'm not sure the Braves would be quite as transparent exactly <laughs> um, it'll be somewhere in there i have a feeling as well i'd be pretty surprised if he was the starter on opening day just because there's no reason to do that for a team that's not necessarily going to be contending we'll talk about that later but unless you just unless the braves feel like this is good that, that two weeks is going to make or break their season which i can't imagine they would feel that way i just don't i don't see that as a reason
1: exactly so, you know and and he's in a much different situation than bryant was then too and and there was really no justification for the the cubs to do that with brian because they were trying to compete they were trying to win yeah <laughs> he was he was already a guy who like pretty much everybody he was a college bat that came up already mature like that was like very blatant and i think with the cuny like we've already mentioned a lot of the things that he can work on from a baseball perspective it's there so it makes sense to get him some work and who knows if he like maybe he goes to triple a and those things aren't working to the same degree and they keep him down for even longer like we'll, we'll see but if he's performing well i'd be surprised if it's if it's you know, long at all.
0: You, by the way, before we move on, you mentioned right, him playing right field. Are, are you at all worried that he's not going to play right field? Cause I, I'm a little bit terrified that's, that's going to leave um,
1: Marquecas in right field and play Kunian left. I mean, that'd be, that'd be really frustrating yes, it um, would. <laughs> from, from a lot of perspectives. I mean, like this is Marquecas's last, you know, couple months of being probably a regular in the majors at all. Um, like, you know, he's not going to be in – unless they think Acuna is like a permanent left fielder. Um, I don't see it make much sense at all to put him in left for the few months that we have Mark um, You know, put him in right, get him used to where he's going to be for the foreseeable future, uh, and then move Mark Higgins over to left. Like he's not somebody we're trying to like worry about his – person, like how he's going to react to it. Like he's not somebody we're building around. He's a tail end of his career veteran who, you know – isn't a great defender anyway. Put him in left and, you know, even if he's playing regularly. That's my thought. Yeah, you and I are <laughs> Hopefully that's how it there. works out.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm a little worried just because
0: of everything we've seen so far with Marquez not and but yep. I'm hoping that we are uh, correct in this one. Uh, all right, we can move off of Cunha. I wanted to ask you, it sort of ties with the only real news of the entire week of that was actually earlier this week, is that Mauricio Cabrera got dfa and they signed Peter Moreland, which I don't really care about necessarily a whole lot, but it shines a lot on the bullpen because the bullpen's kind of weird. Right now, in a lot of ways, and I saw a hot take of yours on Twitter this week that I was going to ask you about about AJ Minter. So let's just weave it in here. Um, I think you're high on him. We'll talk about him in a second. But what happens in this bullpen in general? Because you know Cabrera wasn't necessarily going to lock to be in the, in the bullpen in general. But if you look at the there, there are a few locks. It's basically you know Viscaino. I, I think we assume Minter, and there's a couple of other guys. But there's some there's some spots open in the bullpen.
1: Yeah, a lot of it's going to. I think. The Braves compared, and this is kind of what you want with a rebuilding team—is like you don't want to have like your all your bullpen slots kind of already figured out before the season goes, because then you just kind of lose the upside of having, you know, guys provide value during the spring that you didn't expect beforehand. So I think a lot of it will depend on what happens over the next few months, few weeks. Um, you'll we'll start to get a good picture of what guys they think are more bullpen arms, what guys we think are, um you know, the waiver claims, the non-roster invites that are performing really well. Um, one thing that the Braves were always great at back in the day was getting like a Johnny Venters and having him go from like a failed starter into being a top-notch reliever or Eric O'Flaherty, who was a waiver claim and become a top-notch reliever. So I think there's a lot to be figured out from a uh, bullpen perspective from now until then. I think Cabrera is probably somebody that they've They've lost a lot of faith and confidence in. They're happy to see if that 103 mile per hour fastball can, you know, figure itself out. But I think it also is pretty evident by the rest of the league not being too interested in him that, you know, he's not somebody that is expected to be good at this point. Like if it happens, it's awesome and it's cool that we were able to retain his control to see if it happens. But I don't think really anybody's expecting that to happen at this point. Um, I'm, I'm not one of them either, but. No, I'm I'm
0: with you 100 on that. I think that's just a flyer and an arm, and, and same with Moylan. They gave Moylan a non-guaranteed contract. It's a good story. Yeah, it's a, it was a really
1: weird contract too. It was like a a major league contract, non-guaranteed. It was like very strange. Which you never see. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's five hundred
0: seventy-five thousand um, if if he uh, doesn't make the team. That's that's the guaranteed portion, and then he gets I think it's like one point two five million if he makes the roster. Yep. So it's like almost like a I don't know. I have a good feeling in my in my uh, in my soul that if, if his name was not Peter Morland and he was not somebody who pitched for the Braves previously, he would not have gotten this contract. Um, right. That's just my thought. I can't imagine there was a whole lot of guaranteed money out there for him, but right. maybe I'm wrong. Uh, and yeah, uh, it's probably true.
1: I mean, this, the really sad thing is that he's our only free agent signing to this point. Like up until that point, we were one of I think four that, or five teams that had not made a free agent signing. Now I think it, uh, unless it's changed. I saw this. The other day, the Pirates were the, either the last one or are still the last team to not sign a free agent. So, it's it's not great. Like, you know, we want to have some guys coming in as free agents. Like, I understand we don't have a huge budget, but you know, we weren't a great team last year. And yes, we have <laughs> prospects coming up, but having no free agents come in, it's like a little concerning.
0: Yeah, I mean, the few trades they made, they're almost like free agent. Thing, you know, some like some one for ones where you throw in it's there's some right. some stuff like that that's happened, but in terms of straight free agency signings, it's Peter Mullen's not exactly the sexiest name in the world in 2018. Uh, so that's that's frustrating. All right, I have to clear the way for your AJ Mentor love because I, I saw I saw somebody asked for hot takes on you on the Braves and you uh, threw something out on that Mentor. So share what you said, and uh, I, I think you're pretty high on. Him.
1: Yeah, I am. I, I think he's. Uh, I mean, obviously, he's immensely talented, and but the fact that the Braves were willing to draft him. In the second round, knowing that he was going to be a reliever, like you really just don't see that happen very often, where you're going to use that type of draft capital for a reliever who, by very nature, have a much lower upside than a starter or a hitter. Um, So the talent's obviously there uh, from a draft pedigree perspective, from a scouting perspective. Um, I like that he's just a two pitch lefty reliever, like he's got the two things he, he does well, and he just throws them every single pitch. Um, and even with only two pitches um, and from the left side where he's going to face righties more often, obviously, because there's just more right handed hitters than there are lefties. You know, he struck out 15.5 guys per nine last year in his first debut. And he's really never he's never been below uh, strikeout per inning since, you know, his six innings in, in a ball when he first came into the league. Um, so he's just got that kind of. Feel about him that you have around Craig Kimbrel when he first came up just like a guy who was Put into the league as everybody knew he was gonna be a reliever and just keeps dominating at every single step that he that he takes and That's kind of the guy I see in Minter um, The only issue is gonna be You know command control, but I think those are things that if you're striking out enough guys It almost doesn't matter that much. You know, Craig Kimbrell never had great command or control, and he ended up being, you know, at a time, the best reliever we've really seen in a single season. Um, And I think Minter has the type of stuff to be able to do that, and it does help that he comes from the left side so that he can be utilized a little bit more in those situations where he's going against, uh, you know, the heart of a lineup that has, you know, a Bryce Harper in it, for instance, or a bunch of lefties coming up. So uh, I'm pretty excited about him. And you know the question was what's your what's your Braves hot take of the year? And looking at the roster, you know a lot of the guys are kind of are who they are. You know who we thought they would be and all that kind of stuff. There's only a few guys that really pick and choose and say either he's going to be awful or he's going to be great. Um, and I think he's one that that people are kind of looking over when it comes uh, to the to the Braves as a whole this season.
0: Yeah, I mean Minster's going to be interesting because that he's 24, so he's not super duper young, but. You know, sort of young in his development, just because you know, as you mentioned, he was that you know, was that second-round pick kind of arm that you knew was going to be a bullpen guy. And I don't know. I mean, because he's a lefty, and because of the way that, if it wasn't Snicker, I'd be more confident in the way that he was going to be utilized. To be honest with you, but. I mean, I guess the big question people keep asking me, and I'm sure they've asked you as well, do you you see him becoming the closer at some point? I mean, I I, I understand all the issues with the word closer and sort of that role, but in the way that Snicker usually is going to utilize it, he's going to have a closer. Do you think he's going to be that at some point, or is it safe to say that Viscaino is going to be the favorite to keep that job for the rest of the season?
1: I think given the Braves' current situation, and again, the expectation that they're not going to compete, that they're going to be you know, a so-so kind of team with, more prospects coming up and hopefully next year being the year. Uh, I don't expect Vic Skaino to be the guy that's here longer than this year. I think he'll be a solid guy to trade after, you know, a couple months. Uh, Teams are always looking for arms. He's been a name for a long time. He's pretty much always pitched well aside from the, you know, a little bit of time when he pitched when he was hurt. So I think he's a name that will be of the guys that we're looking at that are trade bait. He's a pretty solid one in terms of, you know, moving him. And I think – kind of unfortunately that Minter would be the guy that the Braves are going to look to if I'm forecasting, you know, the next four or five months from now. Uh, especially if I'm considering Minter being as good as I expect him to be. Uh, I think that's kind of the, like the, the leeway way they'll go. They'll kind of hope he ends up being like a Billy Wagner kind of closer where he's, yes, he's a lefty, but he's so dominant that they're going to put him there in the ninth uh, moving forward.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. And uh, I don't think he should be pigeonholed in that role necessarily. I think he, uh, him being the best pitcher in the bullpen would be a nice thing. And hopefully that means mm-hmm. he's utilized as such, but cool. that's not always the case with the current manager. And, and, and by the way, the manager could change at some point in the future. We should yeah, say that. Yeah, that's true too. Uh, he's on a, I, I would I'd imagine that Snicker will be on a very short leash because, you know, Anthopolis didn't hire him. He's on this weird contract, etc. So I think of the brave struggle that kind of gives, even if it's not necessarily Snicker's fault, because it wouldn't be all his fault. Obviously it's a team that has some talent issues, but that might give uh, Anthopolis the, uh, the trigger necessary to move on from snicker but anyway i don't want to get too bogged down in the manager but it it does sort of that's one of the things that it it absolutely affects the way that he deploys is the way is in the bullpen because it's all kind of all about how the manager
1: sees things yep i think a lot will will end up coming down to what the uh the guys competing for that fifth spot in the rotation end up looking like in the bullpen too like you know there's guys who People end up being very down on as starters that when they do get transitioned into the bullpen are all of a sudden like aces. You know, I do remember a time when Andrew Miller was getting starts with a couple of different teams and people are like, "Man, this guy stinks," and then he turned into like the best reliever in baseball, or at least one of them. Um, so I'm not a big Aaron Blair fan. I'm not a big Matt Whistler fan. I'm not a big Lucas Sims fan. But you know, we put them into a into a three out role like. Maybe they're going to be a different picture. Um, I don't expect it to be, but you know, it's, it's happened possible for right. Um, and we'll we'll see what happens in that perspective uh, over the next. I, I expect that to be you know a decision that's figured out over the next three to four weeks too. Which guys are going to be you know competing for bullpen spots, or if they're all just going to be you know minor league depth, which I don't really see as a sensible option. I would rather see those guys up there rather than some non roster invites that you know aren't too talented.
0: You don't need those guys in Gwinnett because of all the young pitching you have behind them. It's not like you exactly. have to have this this stockpile. So like, especially I think Sims, especially like probably profiles best as a reliever out of those three guys. That could just be me projecting, but I mean Whistler, we kind of know probably isn't going to be that guy in my opinion. But Blair could be. I mean, there was I think Mark Bowman wrote about um, some dark horses, and he mentioned Blair as a as a potential bullpen candidate. That makes some sense, and uh, I I wouldn't mind. Right. Um, I'm taking at least a flyer on that just to see if it works because Blair. I mean, we, people forget how much of a prospect Blair was when he came over. Like he was, he's been terrible. Yep. But he was a you know a, an actual part of that deal. People were excited about, including me. I mean, it wasn't like people were expecting him to be bad, and he just has kind of been bad. But it doesn't mean that he has to stay that way. If that makes sense.
1: Yep. Nah, no, it, it completely does. And like you said, they're going to have to make a decision with these guys sooner or later. There's guys coming up to. That need those rate, rotation spots in, in Gwinnett, so like either they're relievers or, or something. You know, something's got to give here, one way or the other.
0: Yep, we're gonna see what they uh, can turn into. What's probably we could probably go to the rotation because that's sort of a bridge there. I don't think any of those guys are real candidates to be in the rotation unless something crazy happens. But there was a little buzz this week that you know, Johara is a week behind schedule. He's got some sort of groin injury, and there's been some Scott Casimir talk. Um, I think people are generally assuming that it's gonna be the five guys that people assume, you know, Julio, Mike Fultonavich, Newcomb, Johara, and McCarthy. But if something happens to Johara or if I mean Casper didn't look great candidly, I didn't I didn't watch a whole lot of that start, but his numbers weren't super crisp and you know, reading a lot of what how he looked. It didn't like that wasn't like he had huge velocity, all that fun stuff. But I don't know. What are your general thoughts on the rotation? I think there's obviously a couple of locks, you know, you know, Julio and Folty are gonna be there, and I think McCarthy if he's healthy and Um, is going to be there. But do you think anybody else could come out of nowhere? And and is Kazimir actually a thing? Because I guess, I mean, they're paying him, so give him a chance if he's able to do so. But he's got to show something to be able to warrant that kind of spot.
1: I think based on what we saw last year, um, they're going to give Kazimir, like, every chance to to have the spot in the rotation. Like, as long as he's healthy and if he's, you know, if he's not getting completely lit up, I think they're going to give him a chance to, you know, be the mentor to those younger guys, which to me is basically useless. But and find some trade value, maybe. Like <laughs> that—that's that, probably what they're hoping for there. You know, fishing for it, but it's hard to—it's hard to see that happening. Yeah. Um, but I—I I, I would expect him to be in rotation unless he gets hurt, which happens to him very frequently, um, or he gets completely shelled, which is you know a possibility at this point in time too. We do forget that he's actually younger than McCarthy. Um, I think because. Casper's been around around for so long that we feel like he's just like you know, Ra Dickey or Bartolo Colon, but he's still 34. Um, and he was good relatively recently. You know that contract he he got, it wasn't like he got that like you know eight years ago. Um, so it's a possibility that he ends up coming back and and performing decently for us. Um, you know I think him and McCarthy will probably be the guys in the in the back end. Um, again, unless there's some type of, you know, catastrophic injury or you know just getting completely shelled um and to me it's it's not too too awful considering i don't love the other guys that are competing for those spots like when we think of our pitching prospects i'm not a huge uh max fried guy i think he's got some talent for sure i'm excited about seeing what he can do but he's not somebody i'm expecting to be you know a top of the tier rotation guy um so him getting more seasoning in triple a i don't think is an awful idea uh but I think that's pretty much what the rotation is going to look like: Tehran, Fulte, um, you know, Nukem, and then Mc- McCarthy and Casimir. Um I, if, if Gohara is good to go, they would have him in there. But given what they've already said, I don't think it makes any sense to like push him through. He's a week back. Just you know, it gives him, him so much cover to not like. Yeah,
0: <laughs> if they had any inkling to to not, you know, and plus I, I think there's been some buzz that he's going to have an innings limit, even if he was around. So you avoid that if he's not starting, if he's not in the rotation until you know mid April or even May, you don't have to worry about the innings limit as much or whatever pseudo exactly. innings limit you have. So and I mean, Kazmir. By the way, I, I, I should say like he wasn't like he was shelled in his uh, his appearance. It was only one inning. He he, he did have two walks, but didn't just get lit up. He just, you know, all the reports were like he didn't look great. But I will say, candidly, I did not see it. So I don't want to crap on him too much. But I just think he was so bad in the the recent past that it's tough to see him suddenly I mean, but I don't know, at the same time, like he's already come back from the dead once. Like there was already a stretch in his career where he was right. very bad and then he was suddenly good again. It's like, oh, Scott Casmir. And then he fell off again because you know, it's almost always injury with him. And same by the way, McCarthy's the same way, just it's just that McCarthy yep. was actually good last year. <laughs> that's the difference. Yep.
1: So I think that's that'll it, be those two guys. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they'll I mean, be there if they're healthy, if they're not healthy, which again happens to both of them
0: frequently. all the
1: time. It's it's you know to me it's a, it's a better situation than having the two veterans that we had last year that are like pretty much always healthy and pretty terrible, like no upside there. You know, these guys at least could be like pretty good and exciting. And if they get hurt, it's like, okay, no problem. We have a bunch of guys behind them. They're not just like stuck behind these two guys in perpetuity. You know, (laughs) there's at least some like flexibility happening here and some upside on on both sides of it, either if they're not pitching because they're hurt or if um. Or if the other guys are just like killing it, they, they don't. I don't think they'll be too uh, weary to to call them up and have them start and put these guys like in the bullpen or something like that.
0: For sure. And while we're here, I guess out of the three guys who we think are going to be around, and that's you know Fultonevich, uh, Nukem, and Johara, who's your favorite among those three? Obviously, Fulton is a little bit older and more established than the other two. But are you higher or lower on any of those three guys?
1: Uh, you had said Gohara. That's what you mean, right? Not, yeah, Go, Gohara.
0: Sorry, Gohara and Newcomb. Okay, and cool. Oh,
1: gotcha. Yeah, Gohara. Gohara is definitely the one I'm the highest on. Um, I just think what he does as a pitcher is more my style than either Folti or or Newcomb. Newcomb, I'm, I'm straight up terrified of. Uh, I just Agreed. cannot stand watching guys <laughs> that have this kind of walk rate pitching. Like the story with him, and you always see this from like everybody because we all see the potential there. We see that there's like. Man, if he could just get those walks under control, he could be a top-notch pitcher. And, but that's always been the story, and he's given us no reason to believe that he can ever actually get those walks under control. Um, so with that said, it's like how how good of a starter can you be when you're walking that many hitters? Like if you look at the history of the past, you know, 10 to 15 years of guys with super duper high walk rates, like it's not a great picture of, of guys you see having long major league careers that are successful. Like maybe they have a year or two where it kind of works out and, and things go their way, but it's tough to to rely on that kind of stuff. Uh, so I'm pretty terrified of him from a like planning perspective. Um, and Fulty's not entirely different from that either. Like Fulty's kind of been that hit or miss guy. Like there's the potential is always there, and he's he's somebody I I do like what he does. Uh, but if there's a you know one two three list, it goes Gohara, Fulty. Newcomb, and it's a pretty clear and distinct one, two, three from that perspective.
0: Yeah, I'm, I think I'm kind of with you on all that, pretty much. I mean, Newcomb. I think you just—if you walked four guys per nine, it wouldn't be bad. But you can sort of live there if you—if you—if you strike out enough guys, your stuff's good enough. You, you just—you can't walk five. Like you can't.
1: Right. You can't do that.
0: Like nobody. That's the problem
1: is that he's given us no inkling to think that he can no. be a guy who can only walk four, you know, like that's like that's where it even comes to, it. like that we can't even expect it to go down. And four is bad, a little, <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly. Like exactly. we should <laughs> note
0: that, like people that don't necessarily know all this stuff off the top of their heads, like four walks per nine is bad. Five is unlivable. Like you just, it doesn't almost doesn't matter how good he is. I mean, I guess there's a certain limit to where I guess he was just perfect in every other way. Then maybe, but um, so I mean, yeah. last year, for instance, you know, 19 starts, 100 100 innings, he had, he, he walked, he struck out more than a batter per inning. Which is good, and you know had a you know low fours FIP, which is fine. But I mean, you just can't live in that. It was five point three walks per nine. Like,
1: yep. The one thing I'll give him is that, and this is this is more anecdotal and like not numbers based. This is kind of like what I remember and what I feel more than anything. Um, we when he first came up, I was joking around with uh, Andrew Sisson, who used to write with Capital Avenue Club and, oh, yeah. and Talking and Chop too. Um, about Newcomb and he was like joking around about it. It's like stat line every, every, every game being like, you know, six innings pitched, six Ks, three walks, you know, three <laughs> runs, whatever. And like every game, it looked like that's what a stat line was. You know, he was doing that like every single game. Like, it doesn't seem like he's the kind of guy who will go, you know, lose his control to the degree that it's like two innings pitched, like seven walks. Like he doesn't have like the command to that's that bad in that way. But he does nibble way too much. He can't control where the ball is going to you know, hit the corners to the same degree. He's not like throwing it to where he has no idea if it's going to go left of the zone or right of the zone. He just can't hit his spots well. Um, so that part of it, to me, is like a positive. It gives me some confidence that he could be a back-end guy for a while. I just am I'm really skeptical of him being able to, to take that upper step, one reason being – even if he does get the walks under control, that, that may be one of the reasons that he's getting so many strikeouts too. You know, yeah. like, like having that kind of wild near-the-zone uh, pitching prowess. Like if those pitches start going in the zone, maybe the strikeouts come down too and the homers actually go up because he has been really good throughout his career at keeping the home runs down.
0: He's got great stuff. I mean, by the way, to your point, in his 19 starts last year, he only walked more than four guys three times. And only had one, only had one start of more than five walks. Like, so it's basically all. If you go on the list, it's you know four, two, three, three, two, four, three, four. Like, right. it's always in that you know three walk per game. And but if you're only throwing five, six innings, which is basically what he was, he never threw more than six and a third innings last year in the start. That's just not. It's not good enough. This it, is what it is. Exactly.
1: You, you, how could you, right? Like, how can you throw seven or eight innings yeah. if you're walking? four or five guys like it just the math doesn't work unless you're getting like all ground ball outs but he gets a lot of strikeouts too so it's like that that hurts that hurts the team like it's not like it's not shown in his in his end of year value as much like it's shown because he doesn't throw as many innings but it it doesn't get encompassed as much when we're thinking about how much the bullpen will have to work because they're going to be throwing you know around, around four innings every single time that he's coming out.
0: Yep, absolutely. Um, before we get off the rotation, I do want to ask about Julio because I feel like he's the guy that I talk about the least because he's just been around forever. But there is some uh, there's some obvious variance. I mean, he was pretty bad a lot last year. Like he got he got righted a little bit toward the end. But you know, the home road splits were strange. People freaked out about that. I wasn't necessarily on that bandwagon. But you look at the last couple of years, he was very good for two years in a row, and now it's been a bad year, good year, and then bad year again. What are you expecting from him in 2018? Is this I mean, the big deal is that. He's so cheap, and that's there's a lot of value in that. Even if he's just the guy he was last year, which is not great, he's still a value on his contract. But that only takes you so far when you're supposed to be your, you know, the quote unquote number one. Even, even if he's not necessarily an ace like that.
1: Yeah, I've been of the opinion for for a while now. I, I mean, I imagine if I searched my Twitter history um, of of trade Julio, I was going to be probably one of the one of the first ones. And it's not that I hate the guy and I think he's like a terrible uh, player. I just didn't expect him to be a guy that would be here during our competitive years like i thought his best years were going to be before we're ready to really compete um and it's kind of how that's worked out Uh, i think some of that's unexpected i I don't think the increase in run production has been uh kind to a guy who pitches the way julio does uh, that like he's pitching to contact a lot more than the average you know number one or number two starter i think guys like him are kind of getting you know uh roughed up more often than they would in the past, like giving up more home runs, all that kind of stuff. Like if the ball didn't change, and, and i'm I'm not i s I'm not like a <laughs> conspiracy theorist with that. I firmly no, it, believe it, that it, happened based on all testing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if the ball didn't change, I I don't think his season would have looked the same the same level that it did last year. Uh the walks go up because he's more afraid of pitching to the zone. There's like a lot of causation that happens because of the ball changing for him. So I think that's been a pretty big negative. And he was already a guy that gave up home runs at a higher rate than other pitchers. So I've been of the opinion that trading him was a good idea. I understand most people are like, Oh, well, you know, trading him now is at a low, like we don't want to like lose his value. But in actuality, like there's, there's gotta be this understanding that people know Julio's pretty good, not great. Like he's not going to be a guy you're trading for number one. He's a guy who's been healthy. He's reliable from that perspective. He's going to give you innings and he's got some upside his value is getting decreased every single day that he's not on that contract anymore. You know, like the closer that contract gets to closing, the less value he gets every single day. So even though we don't want to sell him low from a production standpoint, like, I don't think we're fooling anybody around the league if he has a good month or two. And then we're like, look, he's great again. Like they know what to expect here. They know that you can't necessarily rely on, you know, number one or number two type production that you're going to see a wide degree of variance. And, he's young and got on a good contract and you might get some really great production. Like that's everybody knows who he is basically from that perspective. Uh, I think not trading him this off season was a mistake, but uh, maybe the offers just weren't, weren't there. I'm not sure.
0: Yeah. I think, I mean, obviously in, in retrospect, his value is probably at his apex after 2016 when he had a pretty good year and it was still had, you know, four years of control left. That probably would have been the perfect time to trade him. And then I think I agree, you know, even this, even this winter might've been a good idea to do that. i just for the contract stuff. If people don't know, you know, he's out 8 million this year and then 11 in 2019. And then the team has an option for 12 million in 2020, which they would pick up unless he's just falls apart. Like even if he was the guy who was last year, they probably pick it up because for sure. you know, $12 million for a, Reasonable starting pitcher is fine, um, but still, like that's not a
1: huge. When you get when you
0: get into paying at twelve million dollars a year, if he's the guy he was in twenty seventeen, that's not a huge value. Like it's fine, yep. but it, and it, that's like, why he'd
1: be such a valuable trade commodity too. Like right. that's why even with this, you know, rough year, he's still such a good asset for teams to have like it's not like teams are going to say oh i'm not going to pay for him now it's like you know what he calls and, and it's a club option
0: i mean if he, if he yep. falls apart you just decline it and it is what it is
1: like exactly there's and, that and teams value. would teams would give you good stuff for for his contract right now with what he's done in terms of innings pitched and you know the upside that you do get with him like he would be somebody who you get good value for i think a lot of people would look at it afterwards, like, the immediate reaction around the world would be kind of like, oh, wow, I can't believe the Braves got that much for Tehran. He was really bad last year, until they look into how great the contract is. Like, I think then they would realize, and oh, wow, Alper. they're, they're yeah. really trading for this really low contract of a reliable, you know, mid-rotation starting pitcher. Yeah, I mean,
0: even in season this year, if he's, if he's solid, I think you – Especially if the Braves are not were, you know, not contending as we probably expect them not to be, you know you still have it, if you got, you have a guy with two and a half years of control left, that could trade him in the middle of the season and get a probably a surprisingly good return for him for a playoff team that just needs some st- some stability with their you know number three number four starter somebody that wants that can eat innings for them and just kind of just be solid. Um, so for sure. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I, it's been—I feel like we've been talking about Tehran getting traded for three, four years now. which Exactly is, right. <laughs> it is what it is. Like I, I mean, we've probably talked about it in a hundred different ways, but it's definitely out there. And I think, I think he'll be better than he was in 2017. Just how much better is up for debate. I think that was probably his low point. I want to say I'm saying probably because I'm not 100% convinced on that. But I think you know, last year he had a 4.95 fit, 4.96 x fit. Like I, I think he's better than that. It's just how much better is kind of the only question. Yeah.
1: There and it's it's compared to league average now too we have to get like sure. this year this past year was his worst in terms of FIP but 2 years ago you know that he had the same war um and that's because again like we mentioned before the ball getting changed and the the whole atmosphere around baseball being entirely different and unfortunately not catering to the skills that Tehran has at all <laughs> yeah it's exactly. been the worst
0: case scenario for a guy like Julio um yep. All right, we can get off the rotation and uh, take out the lineup a little bit before I let you get out of here. Um, you know, third base is the the big question, the only question at the moment as to who's going to actually be playing there on a regular basis. Uh, Mark Bowman, good friend of the program, wrote actually that Rio Ruiz is kind of a dark horse to even make the roster, which surprised me because um, I think he's. I've always assumed he was going to be there, but I guess people still like Danny Santana, and by people, I, I don't know who, but somebody likes Danny Santana. I don't know. What are you expecting to see at third base? Because I think you know you have Camargo, you have Ruiz, you have now Charlie Culberson is a thing, I guess. Um, what are you expecting to see out of third base? Because that's sort of the uh, the never ending question right now, unless of course they sign someone, which I think by the day becomes less likely.
1: Yeah, I'm. Uh, uh, when I look at the roster from you know who we currently have that could potentially play third base uh, all throughout the the organization, Camargo is really the only guy I see that could be there. Semi-regularly. Um, and I think the hope that they have now is that he's like a Martin Prado type. Um, but it's a little different than Prado because Prado was that super utility guy that proved himself for a while. Like, it took him a while until they were like, you know what, we're just going to let you be a starter now. Um, Camargo, they're saying basically, hey, you were good last year, so and, let's and, be a starter and, now. And
0: by the way, in 256 plate appearances after never hitting ever before that. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah,
1: it's uh, and they're expecting that to, to last. But with that said, I think of... Uh, against most people, I'm probably like either the lowest or one of the lowest on on Ruiz. I, don't, I just don't think the the overall skill set's there. Um, and I think a lot of people get hung up on high walk rates in the minors uh, for for low power guys. And this is something I've been able to actually figure out from being a fantasy dynasty guy. Um, like when you're trying to find out these undervalued guys in the minors uh, in terms of how they're going to produce in the majors. Like one of the things you always want to look at is like, do they have a really good walk rate. So those guys tend to be pretty appealing. Uh, But one thing you realize over time is when you invest in those guys, there has to be some power there as well. Because what's actually happening in the minors is that the guys have really bad control, the pitchers that they're facing. They just have really, really bad control. Um, And the reason that they have high walk rates is that they're just laying off really bad pitches. And that doesn't really happen in the majors. In the majors, you have to have – uh, great, great, like eye coordination in terms of knowing it's going to be a ball. But also, you have to have some kind of fear factor in your your bat. Like in the minors, he's not getting walked because they're afraid of his bat at all. That's what happens a lot in the majors. So you'll actually see this all the time, mostly from the guys who are super duper fast. So I'll see these guys that are in the minors and like Double A ball with like a. I think Billy Burns is like a great example with like a super high walk rate. And you think, okay, he's probably a good bet to. You know, be able to get on base at a high rate in the majors and steal a bunch of bases. But then what happens is he gets to the majors, pitchers aren't afraid of him at all because he has no power. And they just throw him strikes all the time. And then what ends up happening is the walks disappear, the power was never there to begin with, and he ends up being a really, really weak offensive player. Um, and that's kind of who I think Rio Ruiz is. Um, I hope he's not. I think there's some potential in his bat, but that's kind of my fear is that Uh, you know, if he's getting pitched a lot, um, and again, his walk rate looks a little high from last year, mostly because he was in the bottom of the zone, uh, in the bottom of the lineup. Um, like I have a hard time seeing him be a productive major leaguer. So I think Camargo is really the only guy they can put there right now. Um, with that said though, there's a lot of time between now and whenever the season starts, there will be a lot of guys that are cut. There'll be a lot of guys that are traded, like waiver wire stuff. There's still so many free agents that are out there. Um there's, there's some things that will get figured out uh, each and every day. We'll get closer to, to, to realizing you know who it's going to be. But the day before the season starts could be a completely different person. You know, cuts happen, and all of a sudden they, they say, oh, yeah, let's start this guy now because he's, he's got a, a better bat than anybody else we have here. We can have Camargo be the super utility guy. Which, in my opinion, is the best way to structure the lineup. But right now, we just have no third baseman.
0: Yeah, I mean, for sure, this is the weirdest situation ever for free agency. Like, it's there's always some uncertainty as you know the end of February and March approaches. But this year, there's so many free agents that are already unsigned before you even get to cuts that it's even more wild. So I'm with you 100 on that. It's sort of the backdrop of, of a lot of these things. But I mean, if you're looking for an uptick in for Ruiz, like a little bit of optimism, if you want to find it, is. You know, last year was his best lucky percentage in the minor leagues. He had 16 homers last year, 400 plate appearances or so. There's a little bit of something to get excited about there. Not not terribly, but I'm I'm actually with you. I think the fact that he can't hit left-handed pitching also burns him up pretty obviously. Sure. And I think, I think if you were trying to only care about winning games in 2018, you might go with maybe a straight platoon of Ruiz and Camargo or something approaching it to where you would – put Ruiz in some spots against right-handed pitching if you wanted to exploit that, where he'd be better, at at, at, at least as a a hitter, than Camargo would be at third base, but I'm not sure that's a good thing, because, I mean, every team wants to win, but not at the expense of development of, if they they like Camargo a lot, which I'm, I'm sure the team's higher on him than I am, if they like him a lot, then, you know, I guess go ahead and let him see what you can do, but I'm with you, I think he's super, I think he's a super utility guy, almost certainly, and I, I, I'm happy to be proven wrong. Obviously, you know, Prado, nobody was projecting as a full-time regular until he was one and then was suddenly good at it. I think, he, uh, sort of in retrospect, this is probably blasphemy, but Prado was never as good as the fan base wanted him to be. Uh, there was one, maybe one year where he was, but we're already seeing that with Camargo now, like people are treating him like he's Prado already, which,
1: Yeah, <laughs> which is exactly. wild to consider. They jumped the gun with a lot of things. That's like, you know, the oh, epitome certainly. of being a fan base, I guess. It's right? a fan base, yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, I feel like I spend probably half the podcast on uh, telling people to calm down on certain things. And right. Camargo's, Camargo's one of them. But listen, if he's the guy he was last year in a very short sample, then sure, he can. Still not a terribly sexy player, but you know, he had a 102 WRC+, plus and that's fine. Like That's a playable guy. He can play defense. Like, okay, that's, that's a guy you can survive with at third base if you have to. I just don't think he's going to hit like that. But I'll, I'll exactly.
1: Wrong. <laughs> and it's funny, too, because I actually feel like the Ruiz situation is... And I'm not sure if the crowds within the fan base are different or the same, but I feel like it, you can almost say the same thing about Ruiz. You know, yeah. people feeling like he should be getting the the opportunity because of what you said before his Triple A numbers and given his age, Triple A. And he, he was, was also one of the like, youngest guys.
0: When they had when the Braves had bad prospects, he was one of the guys who was always in the top five or six yeah, on, the, exactly. on those lists. So people just think still thinking him as that guy. And they still think they still see him as young, and he is young. But yep. Him being a top five prospect, you know, three years ago for the Braves is not close to what it would be if he was that now for the Braves. Like it's all system right. and all that like, stuff. So
1: look right. at the rest of the list, and we can just, right. you know, we were like, oh my god, Lucas Sims is like number one. Uh, Sh- back,
0: back to the Sean Go Martin era and all that fun yeah. stuff. Oh uh, man,
1: it was rough. Yeah, it um, was rough I, I do feel like maybe, and it's funny because we keep mentioning Prado, but Prado was one of those guys that had to earn his playing time, and to the to the degree to which like he literally had to be performing at all times until they were like all right now you're just a starter um and i actually could see ruiz being that type of player too like i think he's the perfect candidate to have him on the bench one because he's a left-handed hitter and teams always need left-handed bench bats um to be that guy that you know is a pinch hitter he has to perform there first and then he starts performing as a you know platoon starter and then he's just the starter like i think that's the route i would want to see ruiz go rather than just sticking him down in AAA again or relegating him to like only pinch hitting. Like I would like to see him have the opportunity to earn a spot in that degree. And then I'd be happy with if that's how it went. Um, And I think he's a guy who we should have on our bench. Like why would we waste a spot on a Danny Santana when we can have a Rio Ruiz? Um, And they said that they're going to be playing him in the outfield uh, this this spring to see if he can add some flexibility there. So if he's able to be passable in left field – Uh, I think that'll make a lot of sense because when Acuna comes up, they're not going to need a traditional fourth outfielder that, you know, a lot of teams have to have, like that guy who plays center, because Acuna can play center if anything were to happen to Infante in a pinch. Like he can can play center for any team. So um, I think that would be something that really adds to his uh, ability to make the roster and be on it for a while is if he can, play left field decently, and maybe he earns the spot at third. Maybe it does end up being a platoon. Maybe Dansby struggles again, and we have Ruiz at third and Camargo at short. Like, we don't know, but um, I don't see any value in having a Danny Santana on the roster.
0: Yeah, 100% agree on pretty much all of that. I'm glad you mentioned Dansby. I was going to ask you sort of as the last thing here. Um, about Dansby and Ozzy, obviously two very different um, situations because Dansby's coming off the off the down year. You know he was awesome when he first came up, sort of following the Frank the Frank trajectory and being incredible when you first arrive. And then, granted, Francor was better than that um, in, in his second season. But um, you know Swanson is now sort of almost post hype because he had such a bad year last year. Whereas Ozzy, everybody's super excited and they, you know every projection system loves Ozzy and he's still so young, and all that fun stuff. So I don't know. Were, were you on both these guys in general? Obviously they're always going to be related because they both are shortstops even though one of them can't play shortstop <laughs> it's just one of those things always oh, so i should i shouldn't say can't because been, it's not it's not a shot either one of them one of them has to play second base if, if they're both playing so i don't know where are you at on both of those guys you know just knowing all the, all the background and sort of the back and forth between them
1: uh i think it's it's pretty funny because you know people are are much higher now on albies than than dansby yep based on last year what a year (laughs) right exactly one year one year really changes a lot of different things but like ozzy had you know basically you know a similar amount of playing time as dansby had the year before when everybody was really high on dansby my my point being like we don't know what either of these guys really is yet um it could easily happen that ozzy has the same type of year this year that dansby had like pitchers adjust to him his power was surprisingly good last year, and it's tough. It's tough to expect that to, you know, occur again. It's tough to bank on it. It may happen again, but it's it's tough to bank on. If that doesn't happen, you know, what else happens with his with his plate appearances and his uh, ability to hit? You know, like I mentioned before, when these light hitting guys come up to the majors, a lot of times pitchers are are more willing to challenge them to see if they have any power at all. And Ozzy proved that he did a little bit last year, um, so that might change the way he's pitched moving forward. Um, but you know, if I had to guess who's going to have a better career, it's a really tough, really tough question. I think they're, they're very similar in terms of where I would project them to be moving forward. I think both are going to be peaks and valleys kind of guys. Um, I do get more afraid of Dansby's, uh, strikeouts than any negative that we have with Albie's, uh, overall game. Like Dansby's strikeouts, I think if we're looking at negatives based on it, like all both of their games as a whole, that's the one that like I have the most fear around um, catching up to that fastball. Um, good thing today is that he hit a home run off Scherzer, so that's fun. It
0: was, it was mashed, too, by the way. That thing right. was an absolute yeah. rocket,
1: so that
0: was nice. It gives
1: you some some hope that maybe that correction is is there. You know, obviously it's one game in the very beginning of preseason, but you know we didn't see much of that last year, and it's been a while since we've seen Dansby hitting good pitching, so. Um, I think this is the perfect situation for both of them in terms of where the team's at this year. Like we can just kind of put them out there and let them play and let them figure it out. Um, we don't have to have like, Hey, you know, the team's losing because you're not performing kind of stuff or, you know, the pressure of somebody biting on their tails. Cause there's really nobody at second or short that we're considering regardless, you know, um, they're kind of going to be there unless we have somebody come in at third and Camargo go to short for a second, but there's nobody like biting at their tails they don't have to come out and light the world on fire. Um, they both have pressure on themselves, one to repeat last year, one to make last year, uh, put it in the rear mirror. But I think both of them are good prospects, and I think they're going to be guys that we're going to be building around. I do have faith and confidence in them to to be you know, the second and third baseman or second and shortstop of the future. I don't think either of them are going to be you know, Carlos Correa or you know, Robinson Cano. I think they're going to be solid middle infield guys who are, you know, most teams don't have those.
0: For sure. Um, I do think there's there's a, a bit of a fringe that, that already would like to see Camargo play shortstop over Dansby, which I, I found hilarious during last year. Like, people were really, really excited about Camargo, like, being full-time shortstop and, like, banishing Dansby because he had a bad, a bad three months. Um, who do you think has a higher upside between Albies and Swanson? Obviously, Albies is a lot younger, which maybe influences things, but he's also – you know his size is going to be undeniable for a while. Just, I mean, the pop was the pop was real though. So and he always has more speed than Dansby. So it's it's always kind of it's always kind of about what you uh, prioritize. But who do you think has the higher like absolute ceiling between those two? I think
1: I think that Dansby. I think his like if you're putting him at shortstop, you could see him being a like regular all star. Whereas Albies, you kind of get like a Gene Segura kind of like you know he'll very good have player have some great but, years. Yeah. Some like. They'll so make the all-star team every now and then, but, like, it's not somebody you're going to be expecting to do, like, you know, to hit really well forever. Like, I think Dansby's upside could be a really, 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 really good hitter that you're, like, you know, putting in the first or second spot of the lineup every single year that you can rely on. I, I just don't know if Albie's hitting upside is that same level. Like, I don't think we'll ever be seeing him have, like, a, a 140 WRC plus or a 150. I think that's somewhere in Dansby's skill set. Like, it's there – I'm not sure if it'll ever like get to that point I actually think Albies probably has a higher likelihood of reaching his ceiling than Dansby does but I do think Dansby has the higher overall ceiling and I think that was you know justified last year when they were doing the prospect or a few years ago when they were doing the prospect lists and uh, you know Dansby was up there with the rest like that's the scouting opinion like it's there in him it's his job and the coaching staff's job too, to get it out of him.
0: Yeah, I think I agree with both of those things, actually. I hadn't thought about who was more likely to reach it, but I think that does uh, sort of make sense on both fronts. All right, um, before I let you get out of here, I need your your win-loss projection for 2018, which I know is very difficult because... It's sort of the same team as last year, but with some young guys who could get better, plus Acuna and some other weirdness, and the NL East is kind of weird as well. But uh, win-loss projection and uh, where, where do you see them in the NL East, I think they were actually 20-1 to 1 to win the NL East today, when what I saw from Westgate out in Las Vegas. So not a lot of optimism from the smart guys, but uh, where, where are you on the Braves? Yeah.
1: Um, I, I'll, I'll break it down into a couple of different pieces. Yeah. I'll say the first half, they'll be under five i I'll say the second half... Once those pitching prospects come up, once, you know, Acuna's had, you know, two or so months worth of playing time, um, once we've seen a lot of like what's happening with the bullpen guys and guys we can rely on, maybe a few other trades happen, uh, I think the second half will be above 500. I think overall we'll get to around, you know, either 78 or 80 wins for the purposes of this. I'll put myself at 80 and 84. Oh, yeah. I love um, it. So I think a couple games below. Uh, did I just do that math right? I think I did right. Wait, did you say eighty-eight, <laughs> two? Um, One of those. Eighty-eight, eighty-two.
0: Yeah. There
1: you go. Um, right. Two games. Yeah. When I said seventy-eight, I got myself confused. I got you. <laughs> um, so yeah, eighty and eighty-two. I think pretty close to five hundred. I think the tail end, you'll see a big, a big upswing in in production, which sadly um, <laughs> might mean another year of Brian Snicker, um, <laughs> which was kind of my fear in having him be the guy that's there this year. It's like. It, my expectation is, you know, uh, the, the good production coming from this next crop of prospects really building up the team. Um, and if he ends up sticking it out for the first half, uh, if he's that's, there to see and these that's why got the guys job come you in, in the second place. half, that's the fear. Exactly, yeah. You know, he was just there and like, look, they the one, the one set of prospects came up and held them up and then, you know, there wasn't enough around them. But in general, like as much as we love the the prospect game and those guys coming up, like the Braves have to do more with moving some of these guys. Like they can't just expect prospects to keep coming up and them to fill all the holes and to turn into an upper echelon team. Like you need to do stuff via trade and free agency. And I think they have so many prospects now they would be making a big mistake if they don't start flipping some of them for more proven talent. Like I just don't think they're – I don't think you can rely on just building everything through the farm system. I think it has to be a mix and match of everything. And the fact that they have such a deep farm system makes it a really good time to consider moving some of them for for more proven guys, whether that's sometime this season or sometime in the offseason. They're going to need to do that in order to become a, a playoff team again, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I really thought we were going to see at least one semi-move like that this winter, and it just never happened. I'm sure some of that has to do with the market being so weird, but right. um, I thought we least we, we see one. I, I, it's like I was expecting the Braves to go all-in um, for 2018, because that was probably never going to happen, but I think they got a lot of chips in the 2019 basket now. I, I understand they yeah. have a lot of flexibility now with some guys coming off the payroll with McCarthy and Casimir and those guys coming off the payroll, but... You know, you're giving you're giving yourself a shorter window um, to make those moves than you had previously. But I'm with you 100%. Like, they they definitely have to do something. They can't just sit back and hope that every prospect hits. That's just not gonna that's not gonna panic. Exactly,
1: because because the game's getting more like less parity is, is is happening now in baseball than it's really ever had. And, like you're starting to see the big money teams, you know, Use really the start to, <laughs> to to exactly and start to take a a big stranglehold on on you know their divisions um and it, if you're going to be a small to mid-market team the braves are basically you know in that range like yes you have to build through the farm system but there has to be a few other things that are happening too and, and you can't bank on all of them working like it's just not going to happen like you might get a dansby who like let's say he doesn't perform and he doesn't work out like that can happen to a couple other guys too that we're really relying on you know hopefully it doesn't but i'd be surprised if all the prospects came up and they all ended up being the guys we thought they would be
0: yeah, that's just not likely. Hopefully, Acuna pops in the way they hope and the way we all hope. Yep. I think. Um, but aside from that, there's going to be some uh, there's some flexibility in there somewhere. Uh, all right. Well, Ben, I appreciate it, man. You gave me a lot of time here. Uh, I know you're not necessarily doing the day-to-day uh, Braves grind, writing grind anymore. But anything you want to get out there and plug, I'm not even sure you have anything to plug. But I'm, I'm going to give you the opportunity anyway.
1: No, just my uh, you know my Twitter feed is basically where it's all happening now. Um, it, it's it's definitely been a uh, interesting time to be. In the Braves' like writing game for this rebuild, it's like it's like there's fun stuff to write about, but you know when you're always talking about catching up, it's like it's tough to. Uh, it was fun <laughs> for a while, carried. and now it's
0: not as fun. I'll, I'll say that exactly. The prospects are all fun. Like I'm jealous of our of our prospect guys and you know, Eric Cole and all those guys. They get, they get to really cover an awesome farm system, and if that's your primary beat, it can be a lot of fun. But if you're covering the major league team more, like I have been, it is. Uh, Especially this time around, because nothing yeah. has changed from 2017. Right. Like, I understand there's some uptick stuff from the young guys that you can project, and obviously Cunha is going to be huge to uh, sort of inject some life into the process. But not doing anything this winter was tough. I'll say that.
1: Exactly, and that's that's part of probably why I'm not um, as like into the writing thing right now. You know, you're not also like a I'm, busy man. Not like I'm fair weather, right? Exactly, for sure. Um, <laughs> It's not like being like a fairweather fan. It's like you know I'm still a fan, still following the game. Obviously, as most people can tell from what we just talked about, as much as anybody. But uh, finding interesting things to write about, it, it usually happens more when there's there's interesting things happening with the team. So what I would say is, you know, I'm always inspired to get the Capitol Avenue thing uh, up and running to the degree that I want it to be. Uh, so I, I never put the uh, the kibosh on it in that sense. Like it's always got. The, the ability to come back to life and and be what it once was, or even better in the future, or just something that's there at all. So um, hopefully the team performs well over the next year or two, and I'm able to find the time and the energy Touch and the, the excitement to want to do it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but other than that, it'll be on Twitter. So um, for sure. Follow- and I always like doing this stuff too. That I get invited to a lot of different kind of podcasts or uh, or like radio hits. So uh, if you're following me on Twitter at Ben underscore Daronio. Um, I always try and put that stuff out there if you're interested in a, a different Braves point of view as I like to think that I have for most.
0: Yeah, follow Ben for sure. I can't imagine most people aren't following you if they're listening to this, but if they're not, please uh, check mine out. It's one, one of the best on the Braves. Uh, well, I, I appreciate it, man. Uh, it's been uh, fun to catch up. We'll have to do it again
1: sometime. Cool, man. Thanks for having me. As for everybody
0: else, we'll uh, be back next week with something. You know, you never know what's going to happen between now and then, but if nothing else, is spring training updates, and we'll see you guys.